Welcome to the Live Well podcast hosted by the Healthy Campus team of Wellness Services. My name is Liv Taylor and my pronouns are she, her, and I'm a fourth year general science student here at MRU. I'm also a senior lead peer health educator with the Healthy Campus team. I wanted to acknowledge that we are on Treaty 7 land and we're excited that you guys are here with us today. The Live Well podcast is a series focused on the voices and experiences of our students, staff, and faculty here at MRU. We intend this series to be conversation-based, informal, and all about the experiences and insights of our Mount Royal community. I am joined today by Julia Rand and Emma Snydel to discuss family violence as part of our two-part podcast series to help raise awareness for this topic. Thank you guys for joining me today. Before we start, I'd like to give a disclaimer that some of the topics we are discussing today may be triggering or difficult to listen to for some individuals. If you or someone you know is experiencing family violence and you aren't comfortable listening to this podcast, please feel free to skip to the end to learn more about the resources that are available to you. With that being said, Julia and Emma, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves, your pronouns, and your majors or your affiliations so we can get started, we'll start with you, Julia, again. Thanks very much. Um, my name's Julia Rand. My pronouns are she, her. I am the coordinator for the Stepping Up program, and that is a relationship violence prevention program here at MRU that is peer-led, and I'm so happy to be part of it. Thank you. And Emma, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Emma Snydel. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I'm in my fifth year here at Mount Royal. I'm completing my degree this year. I'm doing a double major in psychology and sociology. I wrote a sociology honors thesis last year on the history of gender fair language, and I've been volunteering with Julia for the past few years with the Stepping Up program, and it's been amazing. And this year I've been helping a bit more doing some behind the scenes uh, with Stepping Up. Yeah, that's me. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. So for part two of our family violence series, we'll be discussing how individuals can identify signs of family violence the stages of seeking help, and ways to learn more about family violence or to receive help if you or someone you know is a victim of family violence. So to begin, Emma, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this idea of red flags or beige flags in family violence. And I know that we kind of talked about this earlier before we started recording, but do you know of some signs of family violence which might not be overtly obvious? And can you talk about some of these kind of inconspicuous or less known signs of family violence? Yeah, of course. So like you said, beige flags are the more subtle or unknown flags. They're not exactly red flags. And I think one of the ones you brought up earlier is love bombing early on in a relationship or in general where, you know, someone will do something negative and then follow up with a bunch of super positive things, kind of mixing the signals of how they're feeling, you know, what their intent is, kind of just confusing whoever they're doing that to. Other things that I feel like people don't usually think of are, you know, maybe asking to know your passwords for social media accounts or wanting to know who you're going to see, who you're with very frequently, wanting to know your location, uh, things kind of like that. Yeah, and I think kind of what you were saying there in terms of like these knowing your passwords or wanting to know who you're with. It's really hard to know where the line is drawn there between normal behaviors. Like, you know, my boyfriend will ask me a question saying like, oh, who are you going out with today? And and I consider that to be a fairly positive thing to do. But there is that kind of that entrenched sense of manipulation or controlling someone that can be exhibited in those behaviors. And while I've not experienced them personally, I know that for a lot of people who are struggling with these relationships, it's hard to tell which is which in the moment. So what are some of those like red flags, those overt signs that people can look out for if they're experiencing family violence? 
That is such a good question. I think some of the red flags would be exaggerated forms of the beige flags I talked about. So instead of, you know, oh, like, who are you hanging out with today? What are your plans for today? Outright being more assertive about it, a little aggressive. Like, I need to know where you're going. I need to know who you're with. I think a lot of it also has to do with tone when people are talking. Yeah, no, I totally see what you're saying. I think that It is in that delivery of the question or the delivery of how someone might be asking these things that can really be the telltale sign of whether or not you could possibly be entering a situation which would involve family violence. And I know that at least from my experience and what I've heard when I've worked with survivors of domestic abuse is that they've told me that it started with these little beige flags, these things that seemed kind of innocent or or maybe not so harmful when they began. And then by the time that they realized that they were in a situation of family violence, it had gotten too far out of control. And I think that social exclusion is is one of these things that can start as something maybe, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a malicious intent. And someone can say to you, you know, I, I don't like that person because I don't think they have your best interest in mind or something like that. But then the further you go down that pathway, you may find yourself in a situation where you don't have a support system to help you leave this situation now. So I think it's important that we bring those to light and that we talk about those. So thank you for mentioning that. But now that some of our listeners know signs that they can look out for, I want to kind of shift our perspective into what happens after. What do we do after we see these signs either in our own lives or in someone else's? So, Julia, if someone recognizes these signs, either in their own life or in someone they know's life, what are the next steps that they can take? Like, how do they go about getting help for themselves or for someone else who might need it? We really want to meet people where they're at. So believe them. We don't pressure them to leave. We support them and recognize the strength that takes to stay in relationships and to be able to figure out when it's appropriate for you to leave, it takes a huge amount of inner resources and inner strength to be able to manage in relationships where there's abuse and and there's perhaps violence. And a big part of that is resisting are tiny little acts of resistance that are keeping you safe. And if you're in a family or in a family unit where there is dependence, a big part of it is keeping yourself safe and keeping your kids safe. So um, that might be just going along with what the person who's choosing violence is choosing to do. And really all of that is just tiny little acts of resistance. And again, we have to recognize that we're experts in our own experience. Julia, I like this thing of you saying that we're, we're experts in our own experience. I think that that's really important. And I think that, like you said, only you can really know. But you know, how long does that take? How long are people staying in these relationships or these situations before they get that sign that they know it's time to leave? Well, we know it takes, it can take between seven and 12 times for a person to actually leave because there's a reason that we're with that person to begin with. We fell in love with that person. There's That person is not all bad. Their choices, um, when they're choosing violence, those are bad. They're making bad choices and those are making us unsafe. But we wouldn't actually be in this relationship to begin with if there wasn't something that drew us to that person, that wasn't something that attracted us to that person. So that's why it's such a confusing thing to navigate because we fall in love with somebody. We really, really obviously care about that person. Otherwise, we wouldn't invest the kind of time we do and they likely wouldn't invest the kind of time that they have in us. And then there's time for relationship patterns to start happening. 
And that's when we can start seeing things like the cycle of violence. And that's also hugely disorienting because you can, how can somebody who loves you and somebody that you love treat you so badly? So it is a really disorienting experience. Yeah. And so like you said, this cycle that people might be caught in, that's where that whole idea of meeting people where they're at comes from, because we don't know where they're at in their stage of life in this relationship. And thus it becomes very difficult to recommend help or to encourage someone to seek help. And maybe they themselves are not in a moment where they, they've even recognized the signs. And so, Emma, I wanted to ask you along that, that train of thought where, you know, if you're wanting to bring this up, it's such a sensitive topic and you don't know where somebody is at. So what can you do when you're approaching them in that sensitive manner to help them see where they're at? Well, I think from personal experience, I know a lot of the time, you know, people have these rose-colored glasses on, kind of like Julia was talking about in a relationship. You chose a person for a reason, and it's really hard to notice or see or even accept that violence could be happening. And, you know, it doesn't have to be physical violence. There are so many different types, um, emotional, verbal, etc. But I think for me, you know, I didn't see it. And I had people flat out tell me and say, hey, this is what's going on. And I would just refuse to accept it. It's like, no, no, you know, you've you've got it all wrong. I would come up with excuses or whatnot. And for me, it took time and realizing, like myself, I had to figure it out myself because I had already shut out all of the ideas that other people had, anything they brought to the table to let me know. So I feel like on the flip side, personally, you know, knowing that it's possible for people to completely shut down or not accept what you're saying. I think you'd have to, you know, talk with the person, see how they view what's going on. They might not view it as anything negative happening. They might view it as this is perfect. This is just a little phase that's happening. You know, no relationship's perfect. I can't tell you how many times I said that. But also, I think you have to have some sort of rapport with the person. You have to know, like I said, how they're feeling, how they're interpreting things. You have to be careful when you bring things up. You can't just assertively say, hey, this is what's happening. Also, like you guys were saying, meet people where they're at. When you see if they have any doubts or any thoughts about that, bring things up tactfully in a very easy way because, again, you never know what someone's going through. And if they have just realized that things are happening, it might be you know, a shock to them. They might still be trying to deal with just the understanding that things are happening. So I'd say it's a very personal thing when you're coming up to someone to bring that up. You need to be careful with so many things. And I think it just comes down to knowing the person that you're talking to, knowing how they're feeling, and knowing the relationship as best you can from being in a third-party outside point of view. And, you know, it'll look different for everyone. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all for bringing up you know, family violence to someone that you're close to. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of things you have to consider. I think, can I jump in also, and I think it's really important to communicate that you are bringing this up because you really care about them. This is probably a friendship. This might be some, this might be a long-term friendship. Either way, the reason that you're recognizing that there's potentially something going on is because you know this person, at least to a certain extent, and I imagine um, it's somebody that you care about and it's really important that you convey that. And so that they understand that your concern is coming from a place of empathy and a place of caring. 
Yeah, and I I love what we're talking about here. This this fine line and all of these complicated feelings of every party that's involved in situations which concern family violence. And firstly, Emma, I'd like to thank you for your vulnerability and in, in sharing your perspective because that's incredibly valuable here. And with that being said, when when you were talking about your experience and you you'd said that other people had brought this up to you before. You were still very much in that kind of rose-colored glasses state where you didn't see what they were bringing up. With that in mind, how do people who are watching others experience family violence, if you, if they know that they have to be sensitive in bringing it up, if they know that they have to meet people where they're at, if they're seeing serious, extremely concerning signs of family violence, where do we draw the line between you know a responsibility to report and a responsibility to respect where someone is at. What do we do with that? I think with that, there's also not really a one-size-fits-all answer. I think, you know, of course, if you see something where, you know, potential physical harm is the main thing that comes to my head. I'm not saying that's the only thing that could happen, but that's the big thing that you usually think of. I feel like if you have heard threats or things like that, that would be one of the times where I would say, you know, step in. You could also, you know, talk to other people who know what's going on. So instead of, you know, just bringing it up to the friend who's going through it, um, bringing it up to if you're close with their family or you have a group of friends and kind of discussing what you all think you should do. Because like you were saying, it is a very fine line. And you never really know if stepping in will help or if it'll hinder. So being a bystander in these situations is also quite difficult because you don't really know where people are at. You don't know if they're seeing what's happening personally, if they've got the rose-colored glasses on, or if they know what's going on and they want help and they just don't know how to ask for it. So I think a lot of that, I'll circle back to what I was saying before, does have to do with, you know, the relationship you have with the person, what the person is understanding, how they're feeling towards the entire matter, and what you can do to help them. Because sometimes, you know, they might say, you know, I don't need the help right now. This could, you know, make things worse. But I think, going back to the original question you had asked, I think if it's something that you can see will directly harm someone, that's where I would personally step in just out of love for the person that I'm witnessing this happen to. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a great explanation. And thank you for that, because I know that for me and, and for many individuals, we've seen cases of domestic and family violence uh, across the entire globe and and how uh, horrifying those situations can end up, for lack of a better word. And so I think that it's helpful to provide direction in terms of where do we draw that line, you know, in terms of respecting someone's want for you to stay out of it and let them handle it versus having a responsibility to intervene before something dangerous really happens. So I appreciate that. And I think that this discussion that we've been having over the past two episodes is very important. And I know that for me, I have recognized some of these signs in, in close friends' lives in the past, and I didn't know what to do. And like we're talking about here, where there isn't always necessarily something you can do, but that idea can leave people feeling very powerless in that situation. And so I'd like to ask both of you, what are some ways that people can either learn more about family violence or get involved? 
And are there initiatives or courses on campus that can help people address these feelings? The Stepping Up program is a relationship violence prevention program, and we have it in place at Mount Royal, and it's been established at Mount Royal for about a decade. And it's in place because we know that students are likely going to talk to their peers if they're experiencing any kind of violence in their relationships. If they've experienced emotional abuse or um, sexual abuse or sexual violence, physical violence, they will disclose first to their peers. And what Stepping Up does helps to equip students to be able to respond to their friends and to their peers in a way that is trauma-informed and in a way that is helpful and in a way that makes it so that um, those students are more likely to seek help. Stepping Up uh, works with community partners throughout Calgary. And so part of that work that's really great is students establish relationships with community partners. And so if they have somebody come to them and they're experiencing violence in their relationships, they can say, I met Felipe from Fear is Not Love, and I think he would be a great person for you to talk to. I've met Tiffany from ASAS. I think she would be a great person for you to talk to. I know that um, we have dating, domestic, and sexual violence response services on campus. And so uh, there's also uh, counseling services on, on campus. So each of these partners are involved in stepping up so that we familiarize students with resources and we make it so that they are more approachable, more familiar, and more accessible. So if you, anyone you know, is interested in taking part in stepping up, feel free to have a look at our website. The other thing is we have a stepping up lunch and learn speaker series that is happening in the winter semester. So we have a number of experts in the field who are going to talk, come and talk about men's experiences, victim blaming, and social media ghosts is the name of another talk that we'll be uh, providing. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Julia, for for providing us some of those resources and ways for students to get involved, especially concerning stepping up. I think it's amazing that we have these opportunities on campus for students to learn more. And like you said, there there are other services on campus, including counseling services, which are available through wellness services in U216. That's another incredible resource where even if you're not the one that's directly experiencing family violence, you still have an opportunity to talk with someone in a safe space, a space that can be confidential. So I think that that's a great resource to utilize alongside Stepping Up. Emma, did you have any resources you'd like to share in addition? Honestly, I think Julia took the words out of my mouth. I've got nothing else to add. Perfect. Okay, well... Special thanks to Julia Rand and Emma Snidel for joining us today for the second part of our two-part podcast series on family violence. The LiveWell podcast is run by the Healthy Campus team at Mount Royal University, and you can find us online at livewell.buzzsprout.com. We're also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you can get your podcasts. Thanks to artist Scott Holmes for our theme. The song is called Feeling Sunny. You've been listening to the LiveWell podcast, and I'm your host, Liv Taylor. Thanks for tuning in. Oh,